How's it going, my beautiful friends? Before we get into deep into this podcast with Dr. Josiah Zayner, I wanted to briefly, and this is actually our second take because we couldn't do it brief the first time, but I want to briefly touch on the basics of gene editing and DNA to give you a better idea of what we're going to be talking about. So these are all things that you should have known from your high school biology classes, but if you were sleeping like most of us were, uh, you might not remember any of it. So In this episode with Dr. Zayner, we essentially learned how gene therapy and gene editing work, as well as how these technologies might make their ways into sports potentially in the future and their impact, the impact that they might have in terms of our health and lifespan. But before we listen to the episode, let's let's remember how all of this stuff works, how genetic information is coded, how it's how it gets expressed and how it's regulated. So the DNA is like the code of life, and it's a really long self-copying molecule that carries all the information that makes a living organism. It's a twisting ladder or double helix, and everyone knows that that's its shape from your high school biology class, even to science fiction movies. And this form supports its function. The twisting beams of the ladder are formed by sugars, they're attached to a backbone that holds them intact as it floats among other chemicals inside of your cells. The rungs of the DNA ladder are made of what we call base pairs, and they're like letters in the alphabet. They're A, T, G, and C. Each of these bases is only congruent with another base. So for example, A only pairs with T, and G only pairs with C. And what these do is They carry information so that specialized proteins can read the DNA to make copies and also make other proteins. And the message to make a protein is written in the language of these base pairs. And then it's carried by what we call an RNA into another part of the cell where that protein can be assembled from those instructions. It's like making copies of your favorite strawberry shortcake recipe so you can keep the original stored somewhere safe. Now, in this episode, we also discuss the differences between gene therapy and, what's the second one? Gene engineering. Gene engineering. Capier, I don't think I've, uh, you haven't heard from me yet, but I'm the other person on this episode. What's up, Cap? (laughs) So we talked a lot about uh, two types of genetic engineering that are common in in medicine and in scientific research. The first one Dr. Zaner goes into is gene therapy, which is where we use extra copies of the of the DNA that are synthesized kind of recombinantly in in the lab. Uh, we use that to then inject into or insert through some sort of vector. We uh, he also talks about using viruses to get the DNA into the cell we want and those extra foreign copies of DNA will interact with the same enzymes that interact with our DNA, which in, which make I, RNA identical to ours and make protein out of our own cellular machinery. So when you have all these extra copies, what ends up happening is, in theory, you should get more protein, which means more of whatever behavior in the cell that you're looking for, whether that's more muscle growth or more oxygen-carrying capacity or more 
immune surveillance or more transport, whatever. Uh, so that's gene therapy. Gene editing is using some biological machinery at the molecular level to go in and actually change your DNA or change the DNA of your cells. That The most common way that's done is through a, a bacterial enzyme called CRISPR-Cas9. So bacteria have this capability to detect viral DNA and cut it to deactivate it. We have appropriated those proteins in that system in human cells to modify DNA based on instructions that we can provide. So it looks for a specific sequence of DNA and it makes a cut or it makes a change. It can even, you know, change an A to a to a G or an A to a T. So it can literally change that sequence to another sequence with the right instructions. So that's gene editing, which has its own technical challenges. Sorry about that. Um, and has its own additional kind of ethical questions, which we get into on the podcast. And while all this stuff might sound like science fiction, it's already made its way into real life in many different ways, including our agriculture, in, uh, even in vitro fertilization, the, the things that people are using these technologies for to change the baby's, uh, some of the baby's physical characteristics, including eye color, height, personality even. Um, but obviously, yeah, like Ian said, it raises a lot of ethical questions. Oh, as well as uh, getting its way into eradication of diseases. Yeah, that's kind of where it is now. And there's, it seems like science fiction, but a lot of work is being done in this field that is being done on real patients and in real clinical trials to treat severe genetic diseases. And that's where Josh Zayner has his, uh, has his, you know, his perspective and opinions about how, you know, he could or, or his ideas or his community could make that better. Exactly. Yeah. So tune in. I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. It's super interesting and really relevant. This is an industry that's predicted to uh, be at $25 billion by 2025. So it's huge. It's extremely relevant. And I think everyone should uh, know about it. Hope you enjoy. Hello. What's up? How are you? Pretty normal. <laughs> Yourself? Good, good. Thank you. I'm super pumped that you um, to have you as a guest in the podcast. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Really? I'm, I'm excited. I don't even know what's gonna happen, so I'm I'm excited. Awesome. I think. Um, I think this will be a really interesting topic for, for our listeners. Most of the people who listen to us are, are interested in health and fitness and always looking for ways to improve themselves. And so it's really interesting kind of for me, at least learning about gene editing and the future, how people might be able to change themselves into whatever they want to be. So, yeah. yeah. What would you change yourself into? I would definitely, yeah, <laughs> strength would be the first one because it's within my line of work. More strength, strength and an unbelievable, an, un an unbelievable physique. Oh yeah, that one might be a little more tough. You think? You mean you mean you mean like symmetry and stuff like that? Maybe and, just uh, ability to be lean and muscular without trying too hard. Lean and muscular. And, yeah, eat, and, eat whatever whatever want, and eat right? whatever I want. Eat whatever I want and not train and still be jacked and lean. Yeah. 
Never put on my iPad. <laughs> That's the miracle, right? But I think something like that, you know, eventually could be possible. I don't think that's like too outside the realm of reality um, because there are, are, are a lot of things that we can do to increase our, you know, metabolism and burning fat and stuff like that. Right. Mm-hmm. That would be the ultimate. I think the conversation starts though around the idea that like, um, you know, all this gene editing stuff and genetic engineering and modification, it's not something that the government allows us to do, mm-hmm. right? I know people who exercise and bodybuild and weightlift are, are used to that kind of shit. Um, you know, trying stuff that might be quasi legal and or illegal to help, uh, you know, I don't know, boost their fitness or something. Why do you th- why do you think that is the reason why some of I I guess you're referring to PEDs why some yeah, of those substances might be I think maybe you might be better um, positioned to answer that question than me. I mean, for me, just I think it has to do with the the safety of using those drugs and how people might abuse them, the potential for yeah. abuse, and then not know you know not being able to monitor how much people take of what and how they combine them and what kind of well, health I mean, implications that will have. Use them? Why do people use them? Yeah. To get bigger, faster, Cause stronger, because they work to get to get better at running marathons. I don't know. Get better at their sports. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like uh, it makes it, you know, I don't want to say easier, but almost easier to get, like you said, bigger, faster, stronger. Do you think that um, with things coming like genetic modification, do you think it would make people want to work out less or more or probably about the same? That's a tough question. Yeah, um, I think like people, people, people take steroids think- generally. Do they work work out more or, or less? Do they feel like it's enough to like carry them. I think it, it depends on the person. Um, I think naturally speaking, people usually take humans usually take the path of least resistance. So if there's such thing as a treatment, treatment, a pill or whatever, an injection that you can just take or do and it'll make you strong and sexy, then I think most people will opt for just doing that and, and avoiding the hard path, avoiding hard training and meticulously tracking your macros to your nutrition, all those things. So I think it'll de-incentivize people to work out. It, I think that's a, that question is an interesting one because I think there's a sub, it's as with any tool, it's only as good as how you use it, right? So people can take a bunch of things, you know, it's and not get the interaction between genes, drugs, and environment that actually creates the adaptation. Maybe one day our knowledge of genes will transcend our need to change our environment. But right now there needs to be some combination of, of those things. And probably I would like to get your insight on it. You imagine for some things that are yeah, so complicated. So, it's for the, so for, if you look at like animals and stuff like that, because that's yeah. what most, most of the work research has been done on. Yeah. And specifically, and you you all might have had some experience or knowledge on this. Um, there's this gene myostatin that's a yeah. you know really popular gene, especially mm-hmm. among gene editing, but also among like uh, mm-hmm. you know um, athletes and stuff like that. Now, this gene, if you can change the regulation of it, 
um, it leads to muscle growth. So there are pictures that you can find online of these animals that have had this gene edited since they were an embryo. Yeah. And they're just like, they're always super lean and super jacked. Like, um, and they do nothing. They, they don't like work out or anything special. It just naturally happens. Right. Mm. Naturally, if you have more muscle, you burn more calories. Yeah. Um, so that makes you leaner. So giving somebody just unlimited muscle, the question is like, what is even the if you immo- and most optimal? Even if you immobilize them, would they still have an abnormal amount of muscle, or they move a normal amount compared to other animals? I don't know if they've ever tried immobilizing them, but yeah, just moving a normal amount compared to other animals. Um, that would be an interesting. Yeah, that would case. be. Uh, yeah, it would be interesting be. proof but, of concept. You know, it, it, it's I think just in general they have a no, a more than normal muscle. Yeah. So I think no matter what you did, yeah. they would have this increased yeah. muscle growth. And you should look up these pictures; they're pretty crazy, man. Yeah. Um, they are these dogs and these like bulls that are just mm-hmm. you know they look like they've been bodybuilding their whole lives. <laughs> they're crazy. Mm-hmm. So um, within the capabilities of gene editing, it's it's possible to inhibit that particular gene in humans and get the same response? Yeah, so there have actually been clinical trials on humans where they've used this for things like muscular dystrophy, right? Mm-hmm. Because generally, um, to, to get these things to be available as a drug, they need to be used on a disease, right? Usually. So using drugs on people who are healthy really isn't... It's not something the government likes, right? Um, just like steroid use, right? Steroids are used all the time in, in many different ways for people who are not healthy. Um, but for people who are healthy, it's... Yeah, but do you think there's a... a, a is, is there an equivalence there? Or there might, might be a distinction with uh, gene editing versus drugs? Because maybe because of the permanence, maybe because, you know. Well, see, gene editing isn't always permanent. That's the okay. thing, right? So you, so yeah, you so can you're talking do ex- forms. Okay, so you that's can do a good forms of genetic modification yeah. that um, you just need to take an injection like uh-huh. once a month or once a week or something like that, mm. um, and it could have a, a similar effect. Could you describe the process that that sort of modification might happen in in theory? Yes. Yeah, so what you generally want to do, it's it's well known that, uh, and, and people try to take folostatin supplements, mm-hmm. so it's well known that this gene, which is a protein, you know, because genes turn into proteins, mm-hmm. folostatin inhibits myostatin. So basically what myostatin does is it keeps your body from making more muscle, because if you're just a lot of muscle, then you need a lot of calories to support yourself. And it's not always good for certain things to have a lot of muscle, like your heart mm-hmm. and other things. Um, you know, the muscle in those needs to be a little bit regulated. And so your body generally has this myostatin working to keep your muscle at like a regulated amount. Now, if you were to, say, get a lot of this folostatin in your body, it would cause this myostatin gene to not work. and then you would just make muscle almost uncontrolled, right? So your body would just be like, let's constantly make more muscle. Let's constantly make more muscle. 
Now, people try taking this sometimes as a supplement, um, full statin protein and stuff like that. It doesn't really work if you're taking it orally because your body just breaks it down um, before it really gets into your bloodstream. Now, you could do full statin injections, but the amount that you need to do and in different parts of your body, it, it, it would be really complicated. And um, who knows what you're even getting when you're getting this protein. It's hard to test. And I imagine most people aren't selling the real protein or pure enough protein for it to have an effect, but it's possible. Would editing that gene show up in a, in a blood test if someone who competes in a drug tested federation tried to do that? No. No, so these things aren't screened for right now. So what you, the process of what you'd actually do is you'd go to a company and you'd say, I want you to make me this piece of DNA that has this polystatin gene, right? The company makes it for you, and then you'd start injecting it either in your muscles or blood bloodstream. You probably want to do muscles. Usually if you do it in your bloodstream, it accumulates in your liver and is released into your bloodstream, but it can have more weird effects like on your heart and stuff like that but you know it's possible um but generally what you'd want to do is inject it intramuscularly in the different muscles that you'd want to you know grow bigger um the effects of this stuff usually maximize at about 20 24 to 48 hours um but can last up to two weeks um so you'd probably need to dose it like every week or every two weeks the cost of a treatment regime would probably be, um, you know, somewhere around $500 to $1,000 to get sufficiently pure stuff. Um, undetectable on all modern drug testing and everything like that. And uh, because it, it leaves your system after like a week or two weeks, even if they did develop testing mechanisms, it would be extremely difficult to actually detect it. So I would like you to go into a couple of things because I want to I want you to explain the vector of how that gene ends up changing your genes. And I think before that, I think our audience would be it would be good for our audience to know kind of how you learned all this stuff, what your just general background is, and where you where you got to where you are now. And yeah, we're so interested yeah, yeah. and have yeah, so yeah, many yeah. questions we that like we a, jumped we like, into it. Yeah, it's like I want to know who, who you are. They might have seen you on this Netflix thing. It was like, you know, they maybe they watched this Netflix thing and they're like, that guy looks familiar, you know. Um, so can you tie that all together and then explain, yeah, you know, yeah. how, so how a gene enters I'm a cell? Zayner. I have a, <laughs> I have a PhD in biochemistry and biophysics from the University of Chicago, where I studied genetic engineering. And uh, after that, I spent two years at NASA mm. um, working on genetic engineering for space. Um, and now I run my own company. It's a company that teaches people how to do genetic engineering. Um, so we sell supplies and all these things to people. Um, yeah, so I am, uh, and I've also done a bit of self-experimentation involving uh, genetic modification and other sorts of health and medical things. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure if people Googled you or, or opened Netflix, they can find out more about you right you've had some media coverage yeah yeah, yeah. The there's plenty of information yeah. online if yeah. you want to find out more information about yeah. me but basically what uh, i hope to do is i want to make gene genetic engineering more commonplace so that um it's such a powerful tool in, in technology mm -hmm. right now 
in terms of human beings, it's only being used for medical reasons. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's extremely limiting. You know, I think uh, it should be accessible to people for other reasons. Yeah. Well, they do use genetic engineering for at least agriculturally to create different crops that are more resistant to the environment, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So back to understanding how a gene can get from, you know, a, a vial from a company into a cell to change the activity of that cell. That's a lot of steps. How would that work? It's not actually that complicated. Okay. So there are a lot of different ways to get the DNA in, mm -hmm. but literally there have been clinical trials where um, they just inject patients intramuscularly directly with DNA. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, there are ways to change that to make it the DNA getting into the cells easier by adding certain chemicals and things like that. Um, there are even techniques that use viruses. So viruses that won't spread throughout your body, but viruses that will infect cells mm -hmm. to get the DNA into the cells. Um, there are a lot of different techniques. The most inexpensive technique is just DNA and maybe mixing it with some, you know, uh, safe chemicals that uh, can help the DNA get into the cells. Mm -hmm. Like I said, uh, the cost of a treatment like that would probably be, you know, somewhere between $500 and $1,000. Um, if uh, you wanted to use viruses, which makes um, it increases the chances that the DNA gets into your cells, you're talking a little bit more expensive, maybe like five to $10,000. Um, but you, you probably see a significant improvement. Like if you look at the humans that have actually used it, at the site where they inject it into their muscle, they actually see like a big bump form of muscle. It's super weird. Like that much muscle just grows at the site of injection that there's just like this little hump right there. That's it's crazy. crazy. So how, how would you improve the, uh, the delivery across more muscle tissue? Yeah, if you want to improve it across more muscle tissue, basically there are only two ways, right? Put it in your bloodstream or inject more, a more higher quantity in different places. Mm -hmm. So generally, they did a, they did an experiment with people who have Becker muscular dystrophy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, muscular dystrophy, it's a muscle-wasting disease. Um, people start to lose their muscle to the place where they can't walk or do anything, and they eventually die because you know, their lungs and other things just stop working. It's a terrible disease. Um, what they try to do is inject um, in the legs to improve, you know, uh, people's ability to walk. And uh, I think they did, you know, a ridiculous number of injections, like 10 or 20 in each leg. Um, so it's just something like that, you know. Um, it It's not necessarily as easy as just, you know, a single injection per steroid. Um, or something like that. It, it, it definitely is more complicated right now, but it, it depends on the risks you're willing to take, right? Like, uh, if you're not too worried much about, you know, heart disease, which I think, uh, probably comes with steroid use also, you know, straight to the bloodstream and, uh, try to get a more, you know, uh, effect over your whole body. Can we, before we, we continue, do you think you can explain kind of dna editing or gene editing for dummies yeah like explain yeah. dna for dummies like yeah. the central dogma you know how, how dna yeah, yeah, works yeah. and so there's two it. different 
types of genetic modification, right? The one that most people think about is gene editing of the DNA in your cell. Now, this is where you add stuff to your cell to where it actually edits your own genome. So these are permanent modifications. Um, you know, cells in your body eventually die and are, you know, replicate and are remade. So, you know, it's not completely permanent, but, you know, you could say it, it might last 10 or 20 years or something like that, depending on the cells and what you modify. Now, generally, the techniques that use this are stuff like CRISPR, which people might have heard of. It's really popular in the news right now. Now, the other lesser hyped and known genetic modification technique doesn't actually modify your DNA. What it does is it puts extra copies of genes in your cells. Now, the approved gene therapies that are on the market, um, Zolgensma and, uh, oh, what's the other one? I can't remember the name. Um, but those work like this. They put extra copies of DNA in your cell. So like, if you have a singular copy of folostatin in your cell, what you can do is you can say, well, I want to put in uh, another copy that's just like supercharged and just makes a bunch, a bunch of that, um, you know, protein. And uh, this is what most people use. This is what uh, most science and genetic engineering gene therapy is based on. So it's not permanent. Mm. Um, it's usually semi-permanent to temporary. Um, depending on if you use viruses or if you just use the DNA by itself. The DNA by itself is more temporary, so you can inject yourself with that. And, you know, most of it's probably outside your system in, uh, you know, 48 hours to a week. Um, and uh, it's especially if you inject it um, directly intramuscularly, it's, it's virtually undetectable. It'd be extremely difficult to detect and um is there one yeah. technique that's more that's better than the other in terms of effectiveness yeah, and so, efficiency? So using editing the genome is kind of hard. It's hard to edit it directly because you can imagine you have to get machinery into the cells that will cut the genome and modify it. Whereas if you're just putting in extra copies, that's really easy because you're not doing anything complex. You're just putting in these extra copies. Now, using viruses is the most successful method that people have found because these viruses help the DNA get into the cell. That's one of the hardest parts. That can be overcome by just using more DNA, right? If viruses work 10 times better, then you could just use 10 times more DNA to see a similar effect. Are viral vectors are more common in in kind of large clinical trials is that your sense of it yeah so or yeah because of the uh, penetration I the exact numbers but uh dna by itself is probably used in gene therapy clinical trials maybe 15 to 20 percent mm -hmm. um viral vectors are probably used like 40 to 50 percent and uh, then other methods are you know the rest 35 percent or whatever um so it's probably about, you know, a half to a third of um, DNA by itself compared to viral vectors. But the thing is, is with viral vectors, it's interesting because your body can uh, end up developing immunity to the virus. Yeah. So was, uh, it's not it's, there was a famous case that of... you could keep injecting yourself with all the time. 
there was a famous case of that, right? And that caused a a huge problem with uh, research funding, right, for a few years. Yeah, um, so it, it can. So if it causes an immunological response, I mean, back then when this happened in 1999 or something, um, that was slightly different. That was more of a immune response to the body rejecting it. Uh-huh. Uh, naturally, your body will just develop antibodies that you won't even notice. Mm-hmm. Um, and like it won't affect you negatively. It just won't work because no. every time you inject virus, your body will just neutralize it all. Mm-hmm. Or most of it. So generally when you're using a virus, it's, uh, you know, it's like you can do it once or twice or three times or something like that. But after that, it's going to, the, the efficacy is going to start to drop. Yeah. Okay. So the future is DNA injections by themselves. Wow. In terms of what's accessible for people. Right. Do you think? Yeah, because your body your body won't develop an immunity to DNA, right? Because it's mm. all throughout your body. So you're always going to be able to just inject it and inject more, inject as much as you want. As long as it's not like, um, you know, unpure or anything like that, you can get away with injecting as much as you want. Right now, the biggest thing is cost. And not necessarily that it costs a lot. It's just that the companies that make it will charge you a lot. Um if this is something, if you wanted to get all you know mad fucking scientists out there, you could probably make these preps for you know uh, a lot less money. You're talking you know fifty to a hundred dollars or something like that. Um, Where the but that would be uh, a couple of cases that were discussed on. on the on the Netflix documentary were those cases treated with uh, gene therapy, like the, what what you're describing now. The case of the, yeah, the, the so, little kid with blindness and... Yeah, so the kid with blindness was treated with gene therapy and they used the virus method. Um, for something like that, they're just looking for one shot, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, can we get this to work and uh, fix your eyes? You wouldn't yeah. need something like that constantly, right? Um, and, and something like muscle. Yeah, and then and blood disorders like uh, sickle cell and hemophilia. Um, yeah, right. generally those are like... You know, you can mix like a bunch get, of viruses in the blood and, you know, All right. So, yeah. So, I've, yeah, I've, once they start making some, it's like your body. Yeah. You know, as long as it makes some of it, it's good. Yeah. Um, in case of things like folostatin and stuff like that, you'd probably want to keep dosing it um, because you're looking for like maximal effects on something like that. You're not just looking for like a long therapeutic dose. You're looking for like uh you know, I want to get bigger muscles. So, okay. So hold on. So, so far we've been talking a lot about what kind of physical characteristics we can change with gene therapy, but we haven't discussed so much, uh, the pathological side. So just to give the listeners a little bit of background about the example that I, that I was talking to you guys about, about the kid that, what, what was the, the name of the, uh, what he had congenital. I forgot the I mean, name of the condition, but it was progressive blindness. Yeah. Yeah. Lieber's congenital amylorosis, I think it might be. Okay. LCA. Okay. Perhaps. <laughs> and so do you want to explain what the therapy consisted of, what the price was, what they were hoping to see and whether or not it, it, uh, worked? Yeah. So usually for these medical illnesses, illnesses, um, what generally happens with something like the congenital blindness is you have a mutation in a gene 
that's just bad. So some protein doesn't work, and uh, you need to replace that. So you need to put extra copies into the cell, right? It's that simple. You're just trying to put extra copies of the gene in your cell. Now, the eye is really great because the eye is separated from the rest of the body in terms of the immune system. So your immune system doesn't really function in your eye or attack your eye or anything like that. So it's a, a, what a lot of drug companies are targeting because you can just inject it with these viruses, with these genes, and it should work really great. And in Jackson's case from uh, this Netflix documentary, Unnatural Selection, it did. It, it, it has increased his ability to see to a significant extent. Um, and uh, there's other cases of gene therapies that have worked. Now, the price for these is ridiculous because generally they expect insurance to pay for it. Um, so usually they're around a million dollars each, um, which is crazy. Uh, and the cost to produce most of these would be far, far, far less. You know, you're talking even maximally in the tens of thousands of dollars to produce them. Um, you know, it's, it's a rigged, messed up system. Uh, but the thing is, is that there are a lot of gene therapies that have been tested on humans that can be repurposed um, for people who are healthy, right? We talked about folostatin. There's also things like EPO, right? That could be more detected by just detecting your EPO levels, but EPO is just a protein. That, that's an interesting thing. Uh, are you, I'm sure you're aware of the Nobel Prize that was awarded this year for the discovery of the pathway that detects low oxygen availability. So there's a genetic target for, at least in the the kidney, for EPO production, right? Um, yeah, to make that protein. Yeah, you know, for stuff for stuff like cyclists, you know, they'll probably t test for this stuff. But now they test they for it. Test for is uh, <laughs> they won't test for actual blood vessel formation, right? Mm -hmm. So there's two ways to increase blood oxygenation, and one is just by or muscle, you know. Um, oxygenation one way is just to have more blood vessels and uh, they've tested in diabetics this gene that's called vegf vegf and uh this protein what it actually does it, it it it's in a lot of cancers and it causes blood vessel formation so if you were to say inject it in your muscle your muscle would have more blood vessels more veins in it and so it would increase the amount of muscular endurance you had because your blood would be able to provide more oxygen for longer through more of your muscle. Um, this has been tested in diabetics, yeah. um, you know, and stuff like that. So uh, there are a lot of things like that that are, are possible. Yeah, I mean, that's something that's been mentioned in the musculoskeletal rehabilitation world, kind of between performance and and disease that's something we're involved in was gene targeting for people who have injuries like in their knees or in their back to increase blood delivery right to change the way blood cells yeah. develop in that area yeah yeah um so that's that's an interesting um potential target for intervention even for other for performance related things but also for pain yeah. So yes, yeah. so obviously the the accessibility to these treatments is highly controversial because of you know people from different societal classes are not going to be able to afford the same treatments and you know that just further perpetuates inequality. 
um, and your whole thing is making these treatments accessible to to people. How do you what do you think are the ethical implications of something like that? Uh, <laughs> you know, I think the ethical implications are like, how could we not allow people to have access to this stuff? Right. Mm. It seems ridiculous. Um, I read recently that, uh, Novartis, um, the company that's making this drug Zolgensma, which treats muscular dystrophy. So if you give this drug to kids who have muscular dystrophy before the age of two, they've seen significant improvement that basically helps these you know, kids survive for much longer because, um, the life expectancy for somebody with muscular dystrophy is like 25 years, mm. right. Or less, which is terrible. Now this gene therapy costs a million dollars and, uh, they're holding a lottery for people who can't afford it. So they're yeah. literally raffling off the drug to save people's lives. Like how mm. fucked up is that? Shit? They they've done the some, right. Um, Gleevec for CML for adult leukemia was a, was a very expensive drug because it worked, you know, for for a rare but you know universally fatal disease. Of course, it was priced very high, and they would do the same thing. They would have a lottery for whose lives would be saved by Gleevec. Um, <laughs> like what the fuck, man? I think it's Glasgow. Could you Smithic. imagine if you didn't yeah. get selected? Like yeah, and imagine you're fuck? in Kenya, right? You're in Kenya, and the only way you can get this drug is on a plane. If if some NGO donates it to you, right? And don't you feel <laughs> don't you feel like you're putting way too much trust on people on their intellectual What? capabilities of actually to do science to do science, yeah, yeah, to to not only you know being able to follow instructions and and understand the the protocol, but also to be responsible with it. No, like I think people are way you know more capable than everybody gives them credit for. Right. People are fucking MacGyvers and shit. If you give them anything. Right. It's like crazy. I, if you look at like the protocols for PEDs and stuff like that, you're just like, shit, man, these people are like, you know, they are experimenting. They are advancing science, but it's all underground in a way that like nobody knows about. Right. Yeah. But those and are also sometimes those are also tip of the spear people. Right. There's some people who are just messing around with things they don't understand. Right. Sure. Yeah. Right. There, there always is going yeah. to be. Right. But it's like, I think that the benefits outweigh the negative consequences. Right. And I think that's the big thing. We're, we're terrible at risk reward analysis as humans. Right. So we're just like, look, there's this possibility that one or 10 or a hundred people could die. So let's say that people shouldn't have access to this while millions of people a year die in, you know, automobile crashes. And we're totally fine with that. Right. So I think we need to have as a society better risk reward analysis around these things and think like, all right, how many people are actually going to get hurt using this? And like, is that worth the benefit? Right. And a technology like gene therapy or genetic modification The benefits are massive, right? You're literally talking, we can cure diseases we never thought we could ever cure or target in any way, like at all. Mm -hmm. And uh, these technologies are just being hidden from people. 
yeah, there's going to be people who do crazy shit and like try to inject shit in their eye or their penis or something like that. (laughs) Right. But it's like, (laughs) come on, the amount of people it's going to actually benefit and help and who are going to use it responsibly far outweighs that, you know? Yeah. But, you know, there's other ways that you can drive price down of specific goods and services. For example, just off the top of my head, what if you offer these courses instead of to the end consumer, just to the general public, you offered these courses to train medical professionals like nurses or like chiropractors or like physical therapists. And then we, and then so many people are going to be offering the service that the price is going to be down. The problem is, is that with drugs, what happens is when a drug gets, um, approved by the FDA. It's a patent. The FDA gives the drug company, I think it's 10 years. Yeah, head start. Where where nobody can create a generic version of this drug. They have 100% of the rights to manufacture it and it's sell a monopoly. Well, yeah, yeah, and that patent system was hard fought for by lobbying, right? And then generic manufacturers lobbied to get a better you know, position once those patents expired, right? And there's always like a race. Wait, know. what does that have to do with who receives the training? Well, only we can only do generic treatment. Wait, okay, and what's yeah. the problem? Yeah, it doesn't. So if you have the training, it doesn't matter because in order to administer it to somebody, right? And the same thing with like steroids. You can't go to a nurse or medical doctor to give you steroids for, you know, uh, performance enhance, enhancement, right? It's illegal. That's that's the way it works. So the same thing with gene therapy. Somebody can't just give you gene therapies for uh, a non, um, like a non-approved use. Yeah. Um, at least so in the what US. happens is, I mean, what if you look at it as a cosmetic procedure? I mean, at least in the U.S., some of those things are over the counter, right? I mean, they're not in the U.S. Not in the U.S. Yeah. 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 No, no. In other countries, yeah. it's totally. You could go to the Dominican Republic and probably, you know do something like this and yeah. there there are no laws against it yeah. uh but in the u.s right now there are a lot of laws that restrict like you can go to a website right now companies like genscript g-e-n-s-c-r-i-p-t.com genscript.com you can search their orf that stands for open reading frame database and look for the gene fst344 FST344 is the version of polystatin that inhibits myostatin. You can order the DNA and order sufficient quantities. Generally, you want to order like 20 milligrams or more. Um, it's going to cost you, like I said, between $500 and $1,000. They'll make it for you, manufacture, send it to you with like greater than 98% purity. And you could probably put that in some sterile, you know, PBS, phosphate buffered saline or something else and inject it straight into your muscle. There's the exact way of how to do it, right? Yo, you were but, only supposed to say that to me. <laughs> I, I was the only one that was supposed to get that secret. What the hell? But it's it's illegal, it's illegal for me to do that and sell it to you. It's illegal for companies to sell it to people who are going to use it as a medicine or you know something to inject themselves with. It's not illegal if you order it and administer to yourself and the company doesn't know that's what you're going to do. Um, but you know, basically anything else is illegal and that's pretty crazy. But you know, if you were to go to another country, say the Dominican Republic or someplace like that, where medical regulation isn't as, 
um, you know, strict, you could probably get medical doctors to work with you to actually, you know, provide these. I mean, that's what people do with stem cells and stuff a lot, right? Mm-hmm. They, they fight other countries and get stem cell treatments. and Yeah. Um, but I mean, Go ahead. So I think in, in the medical world, we, we'd seem to, we're going back to that risk benefit question. We seem to be conditioned to in first doing no harm, we'd rather do no benefit, right? Um, ra- rather than risk doing any harm. So the, we don't estimate the cost of inaction. And it seems like the system is built that way to always manage downside and not and forego the possibility of of getting cheaper, better, faster treatments to market and making people's lives better as long as long as we don't make anybody's lives worse. Right. And then those I mean, eventually there's problems and drugs have side effects and treatments go poorly. But how do we how would we do it any other way? Is my question. Yeah, you know, I think what we have to do is we just have to allow people to consent, right? Mm-hmm. So here's the thing is that, like, I believe that I believe in body autonomy, and a lot of people do, right? You know, that you can uh, do what you want with your own body. Is- yeah, so here's the thing is that, like, most people don't know um, whether you agree with it or not. The Supreme Court upheld, you know, Roe v. Wade, human people's right to have an abortion by using the Fourth Amendment. The Fourth Amendment is our right to privacy, which is an interesting choice. What they did was they extended the Fourth Amendment to include your right to have the government not involved in certain things that happen with your body, including procreation, you know, contraceptives, sex, things like that. Now, you can imagine the same idea could possibly be extended to to medical things, right? That, like, you have a right to body autonomy to apply different medical treatments to yourself and uh, or or consent to have others apply medical treatments to you. Mm -hmm. And it should be legal. Um, Right now, that's not the way. But I imagine in the future that could be a way forward if a consenting adult says, I agree, I understand the risks, and I agree to have this procedure or thing. I mean, how imagine if people were using PEDs could go to their medical doctor and constantly have everything kept in check, right? Yeah, like, I always say that. Oh, like, here's your blood tests all the time, and, like, here's something that you might need to, like, you know, whatever, your calcium's low or some bullshit, whatever, like... That would be phenomenal. Instead, it's all forced underground. And that's what usually happens with stuff like this. And, you know, people get hurt, not because anything wrong happened, just because they didn't have, you know, proper medical care. Nobody was keeping track of what was going on. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that would be beneficial to everybody. I mean, they do it already with, like, drug injection sites and stuff like that. And it's proven that, like, drug injection sites, you know, like, help people, obviously. If you're like at a, you know, a place where there's medical professionals doing illegal drugs, like somebody's going to be there to help you if something goes wrong. Yeah, I think that quickly goes into a conversation of why are any drugs illegal for consumption, for recreational consumption? That's exactly where you went, right? That's you to know, a so if you treat, though, right? Yeah. You, you you can argue like um, 
you know, recreational drugs or something like that, uh, you know, have less of a purpose than, say, some drugs that have a physique, you know, like a, a medical or like mm. a physical benefit or something like that. Maybe. I don't know. You know, mm. I'm not here arguing that people should be doing heroin and, mm. you know, what whatever. I'm just arguing for body autonomy or like, uh, you know, medical and you know, generally genetic modification is included under that because it actually modifies the structure of the body. That leads me to another question that kind of goes back to your academic background. So to know the benefits and the risk, which you made that assumption when people make decisions about their body, is requires a lot of investigation. And when we empower people to do that on their own, it might be hard for them to consolidate that information. And we have academic institutions, which you were a part of. I want to know your, you know, what your thoughts are on your academic experience that are at least in, in the, the best sense, in their, in their highest ideal, designed to share knowledge and accumulate a body of knowledge that can then be for the, used for the public good, right, to make those kinds of decisions. Right. I think generally when people give you like ideas of risks, mm. it's it's very biased, yeah. internally biased based on experience and what, you know, what whatever data we have. But when somebody when you get diagnosed with an illness or a disease mm. and somebody says, oh, you know, you have X percentage of chance of living, you know, X, X mm. number of years. That's based on, you know, some sample size that receives some treatment that might not be applicable to you at all. It's yeah. just like their experience, their bias that they're putting forward with that. But the same goes I think for the benefit. Yeah, no, I think like understanding risk is hard for everybody. I don't think it's just, you know, an individual has a difficult time understanding risk who, who might not be familiar with this. Like I, compared to them, only have a slightly you know, more informed chance of understanding the risk. And I would hope that I would be able to convey that to them, mm -hmm. you know, like these things, I don't think if, if you can't convey the risk, I think then maybe it's something that, uh, we should, you know, start talking a little bit more about, but a lot of these things, these gene therapies, especially DNA injection based gene therapies, like there should be, it, it, as long as the product's pure, there should be little chance of you ever hurting yourself unless you do something crazy, like inject yourself with some DNA that's supposed to make insulin or something. Right. Mm -hmm. And you have too much insulin in your blood and that ends up killing you. But like generally your chances of being hurt by injecting DNA are extremely minimal because your body just doesn't really have an immune reaction to it in general. So it, it, it's very small in terms of like the actual risk that that is going to happen. What are the long-term risks of something? Nobody really knows, but that is obviously something we could understand if people were allowed to take these things, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's something that medical doctors could follow, that we could track, we would have data on. But right now, the numbers are extremely limited. It seems so hard for me to believe that the technology to deal with diseases that cause so much suffering and pain, well, it already exists and still they're not being used like for example for people with alzheimer's if there's something that could help these people with their suffering or avoided altogether then it's hard for me to believe that it's not being put out yeah i want to say the system is rigged but you know like here's the problem is our system is optimized for revenue of these companies right 
So in 2018, 59 new drugs were approved by the FDA. 59. It's not a lot. Now, of these 59 drugs, about 65% of them are treated treated diseases that already have treatments for, right? So you're talking less than half of those 59 drugs targeted any sort of new disease, right? If you think about drug, even stupid shit like heartburn, there are at least 10 approved drugs for heartburn that aren't just like over-the-counter antacids. 10 approved drugs. Like, what the shit? I mean, I'm not saying that like we don't need heartburn medicine, but what I'm saying is like, People are trying to go for things that will make money instead of trying to help suffering. And that's because the system is set up that way. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's the, it's the system that's kind of screwing everybody over because they're saying, here, it's going to take you 10 years. The average amount of time it takes for a drug to get approved is 10 years. Mm-hmm. It's going to take you 10 years and millions of dollars to get this drug approved. Nobody's going to go for stuff that's hard. Nobody's going to go for stuff that like, you know, that's going to have a small amount of benefit or just might alleviate some suffering. But do you think, right, that's the private incentives reward minimal risk-taking in developing new drugs. It rewards franchise drugs um, and only small companies that are are holding a lot of risk could even begin to create innovative treatments. That's generally where innovative treatments come from and they might be acquired by large companies. But also a lot of those original ideas come from institutions like the one that you got your degree from um or or yeah, they come those from are the only people it's it's i think yeah. it's kind of a misnomer because those are the only people who have access to researching yeah stuff, yeah so right? if you want to distribute that so to there's people, really nobody else like yeah. it's, it's not like i can come from some other place but they it's like them or nothing but they those are the people who don't have who have some sort of security in their job right if other people had you know, had another job and they're doing this on the side and they're doing great work and yeah, it comes out of someone in their garage. That's great. But I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, there is, it does seem like an incentives problem and, and you've created an environment where you have different incentives, right? So I, I do you think that's a solution? Do you think there's a way that everyone could work together, that resources could be distributed and that people can communicate what they're finding? Cause my, my idea is like how, if all these people are doing their own thing on their own, how do you, break down silos that begin to form when people form their own little kind of communities and they just talk amongst themselves. Like how do they, how do they communicate? I mean, that's probably, that's probably always going to happen. So you have to start with the, the point of view is that like we're sharing, you know, this stuff Mm -hmm. we're sharing it and making it available to each other and everyone. It's, Mm -hmm. it's just like open source software, Mm -hmm. right? If you think about the computer revolution, a lot of it was caused by open source, people making stuff available to others. People were able to iterate on it really easy, mm. and that made access for everything for everybody. And if okay. you ask yourself, well, you know, what's the most used operating system in the world? The most used operating system is based off of Linux was a free operating system, right? Mm. Android phones use Linux. Most computer servers out there that run the Internet use Linux. And who was Linux developed by? It wasn't developed by Harvard or Stanford or MIT or, you know, people at any big company. Mm. It was developed by a guy named Linus Torvalds. He was a, a master student in his apartment in Finland. He wrote the software on his own, right? Mm. And that kind of set this off and started this whole thing. And I think the same thing is possible. You're right. There are incentives in, like, 
uh, academia and industry to do certain things, right? And it's not until you remove those incentives that things really start to change. And those incentives are like to get grants, mm. to get scientific publications, to get patents, to make money, right? Once you remove those, then people start to care about these diseases that are really hard to treat, or even not even diseases that are really hard to treat, but just things like weight loss, right? Mm-hmm. Like shit, man. Folostatin would help a lot with 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 weight loss if we really tried to. And weight loss, you know, weight gain and things like that, arthrosclerosis are one of the major causes of death in the United States. Do you imagine some sort of platform like that for for sharing that kind of technology um or is it there's it legally challenging in our no, current regulatory it's, climate it's already starting to happen and okay. groups are starting to form and it's starting to become bigger i think it just needs to reach a um like inflection point where there's a large enough number of people where you can just make something like a platform or where you can make something that everybody goes to and uses Right now, it's just it's decentralized, and that's almost a good thing, right? Because if it's decentralized, then nobody can stop it or take it down. And uh, I think it's these things just kind of naturally form and happen. I think just as the technology grows, as the number of people who are using it grows, it's going to happen. And here's the thing: again, like I said before, like yeah, the FDA sucks and stuff like that, um, but like if it just starts to come down to be like a five hundred dollar plane ticket to like the Dominican Republic or someplace like that. Like I can't imagine it's going to be too long before companies just start opening up in the Dominican Republic to start providing these gene therapies. How do you, what kind of impact do you think gene editing will can have on the future of the human species? So we've talked a lot about gene editing for yourself to change current physical traits that you have or prevent certain diseases or cure certain diseases. But can we talk a little bit about gene editing for the purpose of uh, IVF for selecting embryos and changing the genetics of the embryo to, to change certain characteristics of your offspring? Sure. <laughs> so, I think it's really interesting to think about, you know, it, it scares some people and people immediately want to throw out words like eugenics and stuff like that. Um, but I think this is like the first time in human history where you're not stuck with the genes you're born with. Right. I mean, you look at people like uh, fucking Ronnie Coleman and Arnold and people like that, like those people not just were great athletes, but they all also probably have genetic mutations that allow them to be able to do what they do. You look at, look at the best athletes in the world, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi, people, you know, who, whoever you want to choose there, there's no doubt in my mind that these people probably have some genetic predisposition to be better at these things. Right. Mm-hmm. The problem is most of us, none of us get to choose that. Right. We are stuck with the genetics we are born with, and there's nothing we can do about that. Nothing, right? But with genetic modification, that really changes that. It kind of levels the playing field to a certain extent. I I always think that, like, the best athlete is, you know, not these people we hear about all the time. It's this person who got the shit end of the genetic lottery 
and is still imagining to play professional sport. And they're just mediocre at it because they are literally the genetic worst at doing this, but somehow they manage to still be able to do it. Right. But we don't have any like guidelines or things to understand that. Mm-hmm. But like, I think it's possible that we can change these things. And, and what does that lead to? It's kind of scary because what it leads to is it leads to a species that starts to step outside evolution. It starts to take responsibility for its own genes and genetics. Like we talked about earlier, you know, like right now, everything's about trying to remove blame. All medicine is about trying to remove blame. I don't want to do anything bad. So we're going to let all these people just suffer and die. Right. And that's the way it is with procreation and sex. It's like, we don't want to, you know, do anything bad. So we don't want to edit embryos, you know, because, you know, who knows what will happen. But what we know for sure is that we can remove disease. Right. If we start doing stuff where we select for embryos that don't have disease, we can start removing genetic diseases from the population at a large scale, right? At at a significantly large scale. Is that scary? To me, it's not. What's scary is all these people who suffer from genetic diseases who get no fucking help. That's fucking scary, right? Mm -hmm. The other things we can start doing is making humans better at certain stuff, you know? Making them be able to perform better athletically. Um... And, and and do things better. Is that scary? I think it's only scary if it only rich people can afford it. Only the wealthy are able to do this. If it's, you know, if people have access to it in general, I don't think that's necessarily a scary thing because people already have these changes and mutations. We just consider it like natural because nobody chose it. What right? kind are you think or do you do you think they're going to there's going to be some kind of um guideline or regulation for what you can change and to what extent or for for your for your kids i think people will probably start off trying to do that but then it starts to get really complicated right because like what is a disease and what is not a disease right Mm -hmm. it's like if i have you know say i don't want my child to you know, I, I think have, uh, I think one the they, example of a blurred disease is you know Asperger's or or someone short. on the, someone on, or someone on the spectrum who's a genius. You know, yeah. if I don't want them to like be socially short, isolated, right? Like, right? But now I've robbed them of the experience of the world. You know, if I you know if I change their genes or I didn't or I mean people now or if I could identify them in utero and not have that child, I've I've robbed. The, the world of the of the gift of that person's genius. I right? honestly hate that argument. Why? Huh? Well, that argument? Yeah, especially yeah. With, with Down syndrome or well, Asperger's. Well, were you tra- talking but, only but about Asperger's? That person could have a... No, yeah, I was talking about Asperger's. Like, that person could have a wonderful life, yeah, right? Yeah, that, that is you know, true. And that's pers- that person is uniquely them, right? It's um, not about having a wonderful life, though, yeah. and stuff like that. And yeah. we view it so myopically, just like with very tunnel vision, because mm. it's like... Why couldn't that person have an equally as wonderful and creative life while also not having to experience something that will have a negative impact on their life? Right. Okay. So I think we kind of view that like if we take away these bad things, we're going to lose what it means to be us as a human. No, what's going to happen is it's going to change okay. what it means to be us as a human. 
right? Not that we lose it, but just these things start to get expressed in different ways. Mm-hmm. Like you're never going to have a homogenous population of humans, no matter how hard you try and what you do. Right, they always be suffering. Find ways to be, you know, you know, neurodiverse, right? Mm-hmm. Like Aspergers and stuff like that. Like there's going to be things that happen that make people that way, regardless of what we select for and what we make. And I think that's the problem is that we think that it's just there's there's only two ways right let it happen or like you know destroy this person mm-hmm. and i don't think that's necessarily the case i think our goal should just be to like alleviate and it's not necessarily suffering but alleviate adversity that people are going to have to experience in life like there you know there are a lot of studies and stuff like that like you were talking about stuff about like uh um height right like people who are taller are generally viewed as more attractive and in men it's all often something that's actually selected for by women where they want you know it's a common meme right now in society that you go on some dating apps or something like that and women want men who are 5'11 or taller or something like that right it's like a meme in our society right now and you could argue that perhaps people are shorter suffer adversity. Is that adversity enough to be considered a disease? I don't know. It depends on the height, right? If you say like somebody who's three foot tall, most people would say that person probably suffers from a disease, right? Four foot tall, maybe. I don't know. Five foot tall. Now you start getting bored on where people are like, no, that person doesn't have a disease. It's just normal. Mm-hmm. Okay, so where's the cutoff? Is it like four foot eleven, four foot ten, four foot it's really hard to make that cutoff, right? So then it becomes really hard to define like what's a disease and what isn't a disease. And I think what we're eventually going to do is just have to be like, there has to be consent from the parents, right? The parents have to understand the risks. There has to be consent. But besides that, I think uh, eventually there's no way to avoid us viewing, you know, most everything as a disease to a certain extent. How how about consent from the embryo? (laughs) Do we give consent to the embryo when we we kill it? From the embryo to be changed. Like, that's actually an argument that I read about. The embryo can't no, give consent, but, but it's like legally, kids can't give consent anyway. Yeah, yeah. okay, but should we be worried about that? Is the embryo okay with us changing its genetics? It's an embryo. If, if we go back, <laughs> look, if that's it's not tough, what I think, right? Yeah, it's tough, right? Because uh, no, the embryo can't choose, and there are a lot of instances in which uh, you know that's the case in life, right? Children, like number one. The embryo can't choose who its parents are. That's that's the immediate start of it, right? Um, they they can't consent if their parents, especially, have a disease that they're going to pass on to their children. They don't get to consent in that at all, right? Vaccines, vaccinations, and things like that. Child does not get to consent to vaccinations, right? And uh, some of these things, I'm not saying vaccinations are bad at all, but like there are people do have a severe adverse reactions to vaccines and do suffer, you know, permanent damage or death. It's just what happens. Child never gets to consent to those. Child doesn't get consent to what it eats, you know, doesn't get to consent to so many different things. And and so I think that's a 
tough argument, right? Um, I think it's it's it makes some sense, but I think when you start thinking about it hard, you're just like, well, is there ever a time where a child gets to consent? And that answer tends to be no. So it's uh, yeah. It's, how far off do you, th- just from a technical perspective, how far off do you think we are from understanding how the genome translates to these more complex phenotypes that we're talking about? You know, I've, and I think it really depends on how research goes, yeah. right? I, I think right now we're pretty far off because, like, you know, research into human beings is there's not much of it, right? And uh, it's it's good to some extent. We don't want people to get experimented on. Um, but like again, what what about consenting people, consenting adults? Um, I think that the pace of development of drugs and medicine would be accelerated rapidly if we opened up right fifty nine drugs a year in the U.S. Mm-hmm. on average, and you're talking like right thirty five, forty five. 35% of those are new drugs, mm. right? So what's that? Like, I don't know, somewhere around 20, 20 new drugs a year. There are 7,000 rare diseases alone, just diseases that affect, you know, very few people. 7,000. So at 20 a year, that's going to take, what, 350 years, not including a 10-year approval timeline, right? Mm. So it's like, what do we really... You know, what are we hoping for? That in a thousand years, people will not suffer anymore? Like, it seems just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. We have to do something. Yeah, and I think that there's a lot of pieces to the problem beyond just the technical problem. There's there's vested interests that 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 tilt the field in one direction. And from your perspective, it seems like it, it's hard to create a bottom-up solution to that. It might, it's possible, right? It's happened before in other environments and other situations, but there might be, t- you know, top-down changes to the way we do things in medicine. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I don't know if there will be, right? Yeah. But what I think is that uh, I, these things are on a large scale and of a big enough magnitude they're extremely hard to predict right mm. who knows what'll what what'll happen will people just start going to other countries where they don't have to worry about these regulations and and building businesses and treatments and stuff like that i don't know will mm. the fda eventually buckle and be like hey look we need to change things right will we get you know somebody in the white house or the senate or you know the supreme court who just changes a lot of stuff you know, in in the next 10 years. Yeah. Who knows, right? Yeah. But I think these are things that uh, people can constantly push for. Mm-hmm. It's like pushing for body autonomy and things like that is not something that's crazy. And people all fight for it, you know? But they, they, they fight for it under these different banners of like drug use or abortion mm-hmm. or things like that when it's like we're all fighting for the same thing, right? We all want this body autonomy. And if we could just centralize this and create a you know you know some sort of uh i don't know Effect. voting block or yeah. something to push mobilize. stuff forward <laughs> yeah it would be pretty pretty epic because uh i think you could actually get stuff done 
But like, who knows, right? U.S. government is crazy and fucked up, and like, I don't expect much much to change. So I I try to think more about like, what can we do, you know, say again in like other countries or or something like that to provide this now. Um, as we begin to wrap up, what I think our listeners would like to know, like what they should look out for, you know, since you're kind of nose of the ground in this field, are there things that might interest them, you know, just in terms of developments kind of in the, in, uh, genetic engineering, like things that might be relevant to them that are emerging that you might kind of see come either into, into consuming product, consumer products, like, you know, legitimate consumer products that would be viable. Um, or just things that are relevant to kind of Longe- athletic performance. Longevity, or, yeah, athletic yeah. performance, health. Yeah. Like, is that, or is there a convergence of those things in your space right now? Yeah. I mean, people are starting to push forward with a lot of this stuff. I think the key is going to be to see how the FDA responds to it, right? And that's what we should all be keeping an eye on because the FDA, uh, their enforcement is generally, um, they don't have to enforce certain stuff, right? Like technically companies aren't allowed to sell stuff that says like, um, can cure your cancer or or shit like that. But if you go search the internet, there are a million companies like that in the U S right. So they, they can selectively enforce their laws and rules and regulations. So it will be interesting to see if they start to use that selective enforcement to start to regulate these things like gene therapy or self-administration of gene therapies and stuff like that. Because like I said, if you order a gene therapy yourself and administer it to yourself, it's, it's not illegal. It's like once you sell it to somebody else, then it becomes, you know, selling an unapproved drug or practicing medicine without a license, which can, you know, you can end up in jail for. Um, People aren't on the lookout for it though. So like if, you know, a police officer pulled you over and you had this vial, this liquid, they could test it for all known drugs and nothing would show up. Um, so they'd have a hard time actually, you know, uh, enforcing any laws against you. Um, but like, we'll see, right. We'll see what the enforcement starts to look like in the future. What kind of stuff can you do with the, the Odin, the Odin gene editing kit? So our kits are more educational kits. They're to teach people how to actually do genetic modification and genome editing and understand the basics of like how DNA works. Oh. Yeah, for no reason. Ah, uh, you caught up. Understanding Uh-oh. how DNA works? Oh. Yeah, so our kits to help people understand how DNA works. It's more like teaching people how to do computer programming. Um, but we want to get it to the level where it's more just like an app on your cell phone where you can just go and order something. The problem is, is that like, it's currently illegal for us to sell stuff like that. Right. So even if we wanted to sell certain things, you know, we're trying to stay in that legal territory right now where, uh, you know, I can't get thrown in jail at least. Under current regulations. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. It's um, awesome. I'm. I wanna. I wanna buy one and learn how to do it. <laughs> Let me know. We'll send you. We'll send you some stuff. Oh no, 
I definitely want to. I told you I'm taking a, it's an online course that I found from Harvard. I'm taking it on, starts on March 3rd. So it's like eight weeks long. It's just the basics of it, but awesome. it's still interesting. Yeah. I'll, I'll email you and I'll send you, you, you both some, uh, some free stuff Amazing. so that you could, uh, That'd get some cool. hands-on experience. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Where can, uh, where can people buy this kit and where can people find you? So we are at the-odin.com. Odin is O-D-I-N, like our all-father. Um, you can find all of our kits and, and stuff there. And uh, you could find me on, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, whatever. I'm there, and I'm open to answering your questions as long as it's not how do I increase my penis size. <laughs> <laughs> all other questions are... are... <laughs> Are good to go. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. I, I you know, I, I've only gotten one how can I increase my breast size? But you know, I do get a lot of how can I increase my penis size ones. That's ridiculous. <laughs> oh my god. That's funny. Well, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. We truly appreciate it. It was fun. Yeah, good no, conversation. Great to be here and talk. Awesome. Thank you so much. Hey, if you're ever in Miami, hit me up. Yeah, I would love to. You know. <laughs> See Miami, go out, do stuff. Yeah, same. If you're ever in the Bay Area, um, San Francisco, Oakland, any place like that, either of you, contact me. You know, I'll, I'll show you around, take you out. Cool, for sure. Oh, I'm actually, we actually, I actually go a lot to California. There's just all the comp- powerlifting competitions happen there. So I'm oh, really? there a lot of the time, yeah. So I'll definitely hit cool. you up. Yeah. Awesome, man. Thank you so much again. Yeah, great yep. chat. Great to meet you all. Likewise. Thank you.